Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Give your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter number two this morning. I've enjoyed the Christmas songs this morning, haven't you? I love singing those songs and love to hear the carols each year that magnify the birth of Christ. I, I love to sing them in church. I love to hear them when you're in a restaurant or out shopping to hear in a secular place of business songs that glorify the Lord. And uh, I, I like to listen, when I listen to songs, I like to listen to them and think about the message. And some songs are kind of funny when you stop to think about the message. Uh, when one of our boys was a toddler, one of our three sons was a toddler, his favorite Christmas song he would ask us to play it over and over again, was Little Drummer Boy. And uh, when you stop and think, and I enjoy that song, Trent, I think you said that's one of your favorites, top two. I, I, when you stop to think about the words, I saw a funny post online this week, I think we have that there, and it said this, Mary, exhausted, having just gotten Jesus to sleep, is approached by a young man who thinks to himself, what this girl needs is a drum solo. And so... I'm not sure as you listen to different songs, think about the messages of them, and, uh, and so they're, they're, I, I thought that was enjoyable now that I think about it. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's, I don't know if there's a drummer boy in Scripture, and why would a newborn mom want to hear drums there? I'm not sure about that, but I hope I didn't ruin that. I still enjoy the song. We'll still like it anyways, won't we? How are you doing on your Christmas shopping? How many of you still have Christmas shopping to do? Most of us, most people out there have it there. What did we do before Amazon, before we could get something shipped a day or two? And, uh, and so, um, is there anybody that has given you a unique request? I don't know what the hot toy is that's hard, though. There's every year, there's the, like, the uh, Tickle Me Elmo years ago, and what was that one, the Furby? There's different, I don't know if there's one of those this year or not. Our youngest daughter wrote out a list. All of our kids wrote lists, to, and we said, we need to know what your, what, what's on your list. And I went and read her list. We live, now granted, we live in a normal Orange County size home with a normal Orange County size backyard. Our backyard doesn't have a blade of grass, and one of the things on her list was a pony. I thought, this is going to be one disappointed kid, and I don't know what that, I don't know what's happening. She's not getting that part of her list. And depending on how you've been this year, you may not get everything that's on your list either. I saw this photo this week. I thought it was enjoyable there. A business put this sign out there, Santa saw your Instagram you're getting clothes and a Bible. And so, I don't know what's on your list, but uh, depending on how you've been this year, you may or may not get it. If, if the shoe fits, I guess, wear it there. I'm not sure. Let's jump into our message <clears throat> this morning in this series, The Characters of Christmas. When you think of Christmas, you think of the Christmas holiday, the Christmas season. When you think of Christmas, what words immediately come to mind? Think about that. What words come to your mind when you think of Christmas? Probably as Christians, if we're trying to be spiritual, most of us would say Jesus, right? We want to remember the reason for the season. So the word Jesus, I hope that comes to mind, one of the first things when we think of Christmas. Family, gifts, eggnog lattes, uh, that, that comes to my mind. I look forward to it all year long. There have been many people that have tried to boycott Starbucks for different reasons in the past. They canceled eggnog lattes this year. I may now get behind a boycott of Starbucks. I'm not sure. We went through the drive-thru Friday night to go look at Christmas lights with our family and stopped at Starbucks, and they did not have eggnog lattes. That was a very big disappointment in my Christmas. What about the word joy? 
singing. Sometimes we think of the word magical. It's a magical time of year. It's just beautiful, all the light sparkling. Maybe Hallmark. Any of that? You think of, I'm talking the carbs, not the movies, all right, folks? We don't think of the Hallmark movies at Christmas time. And how many of you like the Hallmark movies? Let me just see. There's, yeah, there's a good number of you out there, including my wife and daughter. We think of at Christmas maybe the word love or memories, friends, parties, traditions, peace, hope. Maybe some parts of the country, snow, scarves, sledding. If you live in Orange County, sun, sand, surfing, whatever it might be, depending on where we live. But we think of these words and others like them are probably what come to mind when we think of the Christmas season. And most of those that I mentioned, if not all of them, are, are, are thoughts of joy or of happiness or of, or of good things. But the reality is that Christmas can be a difficult time for some. It can be a time when some are reminded of what they no longer have or what they never had, ways in which their life is less than what they had hoped for or expected or dreamed of. Maybe the recent loss of a loved one. I know several in, our, in this room today, well, this will be the first Christmas without a loved one or the second Christmas, and, and that makes this season that is supposed to be one of joy intermingled with some pain and some hurt. Maybe a, a betrayal or a wound or a, or a family situation is magnified in your memory when this time comes around and you see so many others celebrating in ways that you maybe aren't right now. You're reminded of a wound in your life at Christmas time. Christmas can remind you of a heartbreak you've experienced or are still walking through. And in this series, we started last Sunday, the series, The Characters of Christmas, we're seeing different people or groups of people that are represented in the birth of Christ, and we're seeing the way that Jesus coming at what we celebrate as Christmas, Jesus coming to earth, changed their lives and their eternities and came to these different types of people. And I believe there's much we can learn from the involvement of the variety of people involved in the incarnation of Christ. Last Sunday morning we saw Jesus came for the forgotten. Zechariah and Elizabeth, after 400 years of silence, the, the, the Jewish people undoubtedly thought that they had been forgotten in many ways. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, as an old, older couple that were barren, uh, they, they had felt in some ways forgotten in society. And we saw that Jesus came for the forgotten. Last Sunday night, we looked at Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, and we saw that Jesus came for the children. We talked last Sunday night about the fact that Jesus loves the unborn children, and, and Christ chose to, came, uh, to come as an unborn child. This morning, we will study the life of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and we will see the truth that Jesus came into the lives of the heartbroken, and He changes everything. The title this morning is, Jesus Came for the heartbroken. Joseph, if I were to ask you today, uh, who was Jesus' earthly father? I think most all of us would, would know immediately. He's not an obscure character in the, in the Bible narrative. We would know Joseph and Mary. That's Jesus' earthly mom and dad, right? But I want you to stop and think, what do you actually know about Joseph? As I studied for this message, you know that Joseph's name is only mentioned in the Bible about a dozen times? 
This one that was the earthly father of Jesus, only mentioned about a dozen times, really not real prominent as far as numbers of of verses given to him, and we never hear anything about his life or death or influence or anything after Jesus at the temple at age 12 when he got lost from his family and he stayed back at the temple and they were a couple days journey down the road and Joseph said to Mary, where's Jesus? And Mary said, you were supposed to take him, and he said, you were supposed to take him, and you know how that goes, parents? You were supposed to pick him up from school? And, and they couldn't remember where he was. They didn't know where he was. That's the last time we see Joseph in the, in, in the pages of Scripture. This morning, we're going to look at uh, really more than half of what we're told of Joseph, Joseph here in Matthew chapter number 1. Let's look at Matthew 1, beginning in verse number 18. Matthew 1, verse number 18. We're going to study a few things about Joseph in this passage of Matthew chapter number 1 this morning, and then we'll tie it together, and and I hope it'll be a help to you. Matthew 1, verse number 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was, what's that word there, church, was espoused to Joseph. What I see here in Joseph's life, I see immeasurable excitement. Here we see a man that is undoubtedly very excited about what the future holds. He is a spouse to Mary. Mary, uh, that's betrothed, we would call it engaged, although it carried along a little bit more serious, um, even in in engagement. It was a a full commitment, and and a spouse not yet married, but a spouse engaged is probably the best parallel for our society, our culture. And here is a man that has grown up, really a a simple man. He's he's a carpenter. He's not well-known. He's not from a well-known area, and he's got his whole life ahead of him. I, I have to imagine that he was excited about the future. He couldn't wait to marry the love of his life. He couldn't wait. They probably talked about maybe God will give us children, and what is our lives going to look like, and where are we going to live, and what will happen with my carpentry business, and, and, and he had everything ahead of him. Joseph espoused uh, to Mary, Mary espoused to Joseph, and, and he had found the one that he would devote his life to and grow old with. So many hopes and dreams, plans and excitement for the future. And isn't that how life starts out for all of us? Children, wide-eyed, everything is possible. If we're not careful, life gets us to grow a little cold and cynical, jaded. By the time we get to the end of our lives, if we're not careful, nothing is possible and everyone's out to get me. Children, everything is possible and everyone loves me. We start out with incredible excitement in life and the circumstances of life, the heartbreaks of life sometimes. Uh, now, by the way, if the heart circumstances of, of life have hurt you, don't grow cold and cynical and bitter. And if you are there, ask God to warm that heart back up and, and to find that joy and love and passion for God's leading in your life and plan for your life. But it's how we start with incredible excitement, and I believe that's what we see here with Joseph. I want you to see not only his immeasurable excitement, but his impeccable character. Look at the next phrase, she was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together. That physical relationship in marriage, Joseph had lived right. He had done things the way that God intended. He was a good man. We'll see more of his character in the Christmas story here in Matthew, and you can see even more in Luke. It's obvious that he was not just a selfish, self-centered man. When Mary, I believe not her own doing, but breaks his heart with the news, he is not one. He doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't respond in haste. He doesn't just say, get out of my life. I never want to talk to you. He's a man of godly character. He followed God's plan. He, 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 He did what God wanted, and you would think. This man that has sought to follow God, this man of integrity and purity and righteousness who has followed God and tried to live for Him for years, not months, not weeks, 
He deserves God's blessing, right? He deserves a good and easy life, right? We see his immeasurable excitement in this verse and his impeccable character, and then we see inconceivable heartache. Look at what it says. Before they, were, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. We sing all about that phrase this morning with great joy. The miraculous birth of Christ. You have to remember, they didn't have the spoiler alerts. He didn't know how the story ended. All he knew was he had done right. He had kept himself faithful and pure. He had not done anything he should not have done. He was doing everything the way he should, and he found out his wife, this, this, his wife that he is, there's been no physical relationship with now is expecting a baby, was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a good man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. He thought, okay, well, it's not going to work. This marriage is not going to work. I'm going to have to separate. We're going to, and this is going to be a a mark on her life for the rest of her life. This is going to be a mark on my life. I'm going to have to answer to everybody what happened and and why aren't we together. There's really no solution. We're not going to be able to stay together. I have two choices. Do I do it in a public, embarrassing way for her that destroys her character, or I do it in a more uh, humble, godly in- way of integrity that we still do the right thing, but, but I don't make a public example of her. But no matter how you slice it, he is going through inconceivable heartache. His life, his plans, his dreams, his, his future, his excitement is all gone. This is it. Everything I planned is over from those little verses. And just as we said earlier, almost every life starts with immeasurable excitement, every life will also at some point include inconceivable heartache along the way. It started with immeasurable excitement, and it very quickly had inconceivable heartache. This one he loved, this one he devoted himself to, this one he promised to marry has now, in his mind, betrayed him. There's no way around it. There's no other, there's no other answer. She has done the unfathomable. She has betrayed him in this way. She has hurt him and broken his heart. And every life starts with immeasurable excitement almost, but every life will also include heartache along the way. When Tiffany and I were married 21 years ago, and I repeated the words in sickness and in health, let's be honest, I wasn't really thinking of the full implications of that vow. I didn't envision emergency room trips or medical bills, stitches, unexpected surgeries, and and that's for a family that at this point has been almost entirely healthy. Who knows what the future holds as we begin to age, and there are seven in our immediate family, and if God should choose to bless some of them with spouses and children, that number will grow. Who knows what kind of sickness and in health that the future holds. We don't really think about those types of things when we're starting out with excitement, but heartache can come along the way in different ways. Very few who stand and say for better or for worse, picture bouts of depression, addiction, grown children choosing painful paths, and all that comes along with aging. So how do we wrap our head around what Joseph just learned? I want you this morning to put yourself in his sandals, if you will, for a little bit, and he's living his life as a faithful carpenter. And the one he loves most has betrayed him in the most unimaginable and painful way. Joseph could have said, I chose to live right, and this is how I'm repaid. 
Think about the betrayal found in those 30 or so words that we just read. Really, the seven or eight or nine words at the end of verse 18. Just the five words, she was found with child. Think about that betrayal. Think about that pain, the broken dreams, his world turned upside down, the embarrassing conversations he was going to have to have, the unimaginable heartache, the pain that went to his very core. I have to imagine the tears, the anger, the sadness, the emotions. Sometimes, may I say this, I think we learn here from, the, from Joseph, we can make this application, sometimes God's will hurts. I know that's not a real popular message. I'm not going to get on the New York Times bestseller list. With that, with that title of, of my book, but sometimes God's will in our lives hurts. Now, God is not some, uh, some psychopathic being that just loves to inflict pain upon, no, 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 but sometimes He allows things into our lives that, that is to strengthen us, to prepare us for the future, but when we're going through it, it hurts. Did Joseph's life hurt here? Yes or no? Talk to me. Did his life hurt? Was it God's will? Was it God's perfect will? Are you glad that God allowed that pain in Joseph's life today, some 2,000 years later? Sure we are, but would you have been glad if you were Joseph on that day? Oh no. Sometimes we can't see, we see just the present, we can't see all that God is doing, but we do see inconceivable heartache. Number four, I see, I want you to see his incredible faith. Look at verse 20. So he's trying to figure out what are the details of how we're going to split up. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, it's not my message, but here's just a, another good reminder. Don't react in haste. Give God some space and some time. I've heard it said this way, don't make major decisions when your decision maker is broken. When you're going through a really emotional time in life, that's not the time to decide big life-changing decisions. I like the fact that Joseph, he could have burned some bridges here. He could have said some things he later regretted. He could have blown up in anger. He could have done a whole lot of things. But the Bible says, but while he thought on these things, you will almost never regret waiting longer to make that major decision, but we will sometimes regret rushing into that when we're not in a proper mental, emotional, spiritual state. But while he thought on these things, look at verse 20, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, by the way, it's a beautiful thing. The only other person in the New Testament who's called a son of David is Jesus. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. We've preached three messages so far on the characters of Christmas. You know what? Two words have been included in all three of their, their part in God's plan. Fear not. You know what that tells me? Sometimes God's plan in our lives is a little bit troublesome. It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit bigger than us. It's a little bit out of our control and not in our power. To Zechariah and Elizabeth, fear not. To Mary, fear not. To, to uh, Joseph, fear not. And he said, fear not. Don't, don't be afraid to marry Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21. Well, let me just stop there. Think about the faith it took to believe that. How many in here know anybody that has conceived a baby of the Holy Ghost? I'm not trying to be irreverent or, or, or humorous. None of us. That's never happened before, and it's never happened since. Think about the faith that it took to believe that was true. Verse number 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. 
for he shall save his people from their sins. What is God calling Joseph to do? Joseph, I want you to bear the shame of someone else's sin. By the way, he wasn't bearing Mary's sin, but in most people's minds, Joseph was being called to bear the shame of someone else's sin. And what would happen, that baby, now there was no sin there, don't get me wrong, but in, in, in society, those that watched, you know how people work, you know how you and me work. Would you have believed it if they told us that? Yeah, okay, Joseph, yeah, sure. You, you see that? And God was calling Joseph in most people's minds to bear the shame of somebody else's sin. And what would happen because of his willingness to trust God in that way, his son would bear Joseph's shame and sin, and Mary's shame and sin. And he says here, Joseph, don't be scared to get married. She's going to deliver Jesus. Look at verse, he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child, going back to the prophecy of Isaiah, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, here it is, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus." We just kind of read over that sometimes, but this is a real person with real heartbreak, and the Word of God and the plan of God in his life makes no sense whatsoever. Makes no human sense. It's not what Joseph should do. Joseph should cut ties, get rid of this sinful woman, and move on with his life, and he can go on and find something. What God is calling him to do does not make sense, humanly speaking. But what does he do? He trusts God. He takes him at his word when it doesn't make sense. And what should you and I do in the midst of our heartache and our heartbreak? We ought to learn, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what you're allowing. I don't understand how this is working. I don't understand the pain and the heartache. And I, I maybe wish this were a little different. And this isn't what I had planned. And this wasn't my dreams. And when I asked her to marry me, this wasn't what, how I thought it would go. And this wasn't it. But God, when I don't understand, I trust you. When it doesn't make sense, I trust you. When it hurts, I trust you. When everyone around me misunderstands me and even falsely accuses me, I trust you. When people have opinions about my fiance that are not right, I trust you. When it takes a little longer to get married and to come together and to start our life together than I thought, I trust you. Incredible faith. And then what does his incredible faith lead him to? And here's my last thought from this story. His incredible thought leads him to inconvenient obedience. Inconvenient obedience. You see it in verse number 24? Then Joseph being raised from sleep. What's that next verb? There are three little words. Joseph being raised from sleep. What's that word there, church? What is it? Joseph being raised from sleep. What? did. His faith influenced his actions. Joseph got up and did what he was supposed to do. 
did what the angel told him. He obeyed when it didn't make sense. He did what was right when those around him thought he was wrong. He did. Joseph got up from his sleep, and he did. It wasn't easy. It wasn't convenient. In listening to the voice of God, Joseph was giving up his reputation. Tim Keller wrote about the significance of Joseph marrying his pregnant wife in this society, and here's what he had to say. Everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know she was already pregnant. That would mean either Joseph and Mary had been impure before marriage, or she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they are going to be shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. They are going to be second-class citizens forever. This is the decision to trust God, what it means in Joseph's society and in his life. His faith was strong enough to cause him to do what was unpopular in his culture. Whatever, what maybe was unpopular in his family and his peer group. By saying yes to God, Joseph was saying no to everything else he had worked for, his reputation, the community. He would bear again the shames for sins he didn't commit, foreshadowing the shame that his baby would one day bear on behalf of Joseph and Mary and everyone else of us that knows Jesus. And yet, he obeyed. And by the way, his inconvenient obedience didn't stop there. It went on for years. Skip over to the next chapter, chapter 2. I want you to see three more verses. Chapter 2, verse number 13. The baby is now a couple years old old. The wise men have come to see him. They brought their gifts. Verse number 13, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, arise. Again, following God, take some action. It's going to make some changes in my life. Take the young child and his mother and flee into where, church? Into? Egypt's not a real popular place for, for, for Jewish families to go. It's not a real comfortable place for them to be. Flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. Do you see it? Immediate obedience, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Joseph allowed, I want you to get this, in the midst of his heartbreak, in the midst of his heartache, in the midst of his pain, Joseph allowed allowed his faith in God to change everything about his life. His marriage plans, God, you can change them. His family plans, God, you can change them. His career plans, God, you can change them. His location, where he lived, he had to pack up, and, and, and they, you couldn't just call movers in those days. To move from one to another country was a much bigger deal. Now, it's not easy to move today. I hate moving. Moving today is not easy, but it's much easier than it would have been in those days. And yet, Joseph said, God, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do. He packed up everything at the word of the Lord and went into an inconvenient and foreign land. Here's my question for you. Even when you're heartbroken, does our faith affect our lives in any significant ways? Does it change anything about us? Or is God just this little thing that we add on? He's, he's an hour or two on Sunday, and then we live like those that don't know him the rest of the week. Does it change our priorities? Does our faith change our schedules? We're willing to stop that, that, that has no eternal value, to start this that does, whatever that might be. Does it change our budgets? Does it change our perspective, what we're living for, this world or the next? Does our, does our faith have any significant impact 
in our, in our behaviors. For Joseph, his incredible faith led to what was inconvenient obedience, and true faith always leads to action, even when it seems crazy. Our beliefs always affect our behavior, always. Whatever you do, you, don't tell me what you believe, just show me your life and I'll tell you what you believe. I can tell you what I believe. Oh, I believe that the biggest priority of my life is to love God, and then after that is to love my wife. I can tell you that all day long. If I really believe that, it's going to come out in my actions. It's going to come out in my schedule. It's going to come out in my priorities. It's going to come out in my finances. It's going to come out in every area. I can tell you that I believe my priorities are God, family, uh, wife, marriage, children, and, and then other things come after that. But if, if you look at my life and I show you a snapshot of my life for a week or two or three, and you see that I'm not investing in my relationship with God at all, and I'm not investing in my relationship with my wife at all, and I'm not investing in my relationship with my children at all, guess what? I don't really believe what I've told you are my priorities. If it's all about me and maybe my career and maybe my, my hobbies and my pursuits and what I want and what makes me feel good and my pleasures and whatever it might be, if that's what I'm giving my life to, you know who's the most important in my life no matter what I say? Me. Our beliefs always affect our behavior. I believe in God. Oh yes, I trust Him. Oh yes. Does that come out? What did James say? By, he said, show me your faith by your works, by their fruits, Jesus said, you shall know them. Don't tell me, or, and I don't want you to let me tell you what I believe. I'll show you. Let's show God what we believe. Do we love him enough to live for him? Joseph did. Those of us here this morning, we love him enough to acknowledge him at Christmas. We're here on a Sunday morning. Pastor Ryan, you're preaching to the literal choir. But do we love him not just enough to acknowledge him at Christmas, but to, to let him change our lives and behavior the rest of the year? Jim who was a sporadic church attender. And if you're a sporadic church attender, I'm glad you're here. Sporadic is better than not at all. So this is not a, but, but Jim, the story is told, a sporadic church attender was leaving church after Christmas services one year. The pastor greeted him, he knew Jim, and he said, Jim, it's time you joined the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday, not just a couple times a year. Jim said, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. The pastor replied, then why do we only see you on Christmas and Easter? Jim looked to his right, he looked to his left, and he whispered, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> we don't need any more secret service Christians. We need people that their faith affects every day of their life. It affects when they're at work, employees know there's something different. And, 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 and co-workers. At home, families in your neighborhood see something different. At the grocery store, at church, when we, when we take a look at our new year and you're, you're planning out 2022, where does God play in that? What goals, what priorities, what, what passions, how are you going to use your life to bring honor and glory to God? What a man Joseph was, but what do we learn from Joseph's life and his involvement in Jesus' birth? I, I think one thing we learn is Jesus came for the heartbroken. I love the fact that Jesus had a stepdad. He came to a blended family, and, and, and He came for the blended family. 
I love the fact that Jesus came to a yet-to-be family that was confused and fearful, and He came into that and made that His own. Why? It shows us we don't have to be perfect to receive the love of Christ. Our family doesn't have to look perfect. We don't have to have all the perfect things. Jesus, you say, you don't know what happened here, and you don't know what I did to hurt someone there, and you don't know what that person did to hurt me there, and this relationship with mom or dad is strained, and my my brother, and this this ex-husband or ex-wife or whatever it might be, what do I see here in the coming of Christ with Joseph? Joseph, I have to imagine, was unbelievably heartbroken, but Jesus came for the heartbroken to make them whole. I love the fact that God chose to send His Son to a yet-to-be family where they would be misunderstood. What does it show us? He sees you when you're misunderstood, and He understands. He knows the pain of betrayal Joseph faced, and He can heal the pain of betrayal. He came to a fearful young couple, and He is the Prince of Peace in the midst of all your fears. Christmas is a reminder that He is a healer of broken hearts. He is the mender of shattered dreams. He is the one who can make sense of all our confusion. He came to a heartbroken young husband, and He is the balm of Gilead for every heartbroken person today. Most believe that Joseph died at a fairly early age while Christ was still alive on earth. What does that show us? He knows the pain of death and loss, and He can heal your broken heart. Jesus came for the heartbroken. He came for you, and He came for me. And as Jesus said in Luke 4, reading Isaiah's prophecy of Himself, He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to who? Who did He come for? To the poor. Who else? He hath sent me to what? Heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them that are bruised. Do you notice something about every, every group of people that's described there? They're messed up. He didn't say He came to, to help the ones that needed no help, and He came to the ones that had it all figured out, and He came to the ones who their lives were perfect, which that's nobody, by the way, but He came to—what does He say? I came for the poor, and I came for the brokenhearted, and I came for the captives, the ones that are in bondage, maybe of something they did wrong, a criminal, or maybe not. He came for the blind, those that—He came for those that are bruised, the messed up. When you go and you choose fruit at the grocery store, how many of you, you're going to look for bananas, you're like, let me find the blackest, most messed up one. Let me find that bruised banana. Nobody, I don't think anybody does that. If you do, don't bring it to my house. None of us are going to eat those. Let me find the, the cantaloupe or the watermelon that's it's got, you can almost put your finger through it. It's already kind of rotted out there. Let me find that bruised fruit. When we go to the, the fruit section, what do we do? We pick it all up, and what are we looking for? The one that's not bruised, the one that's not broken. What did Jesus come for? He came and said, oh, you're bruised? I want you heartbroken? Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, you're, you're struggling in life you're with, with a physical infirmity, with a, a, a circumstantial situation. You're in captive, you're, you're bruised, you're broken, you're heartbroken, you're poor, you're struggling financially. Whatever it might be, wherever your struggle is, I came for you. Joseph, yeah, life didn't turn out the way you thought, did it, Joseph? No, it sure didn't. It hurt a little bit, didn't it, Joseph, to follow me? It sure did. I thought my life was over for a moment. How am I going to explain this one to mom and dad? How am I going to explain this one to my best man? We've already sent out the invitations. We already have our own wedding website. We've got to take it down. Whatever they had done, how am I going to do all of this? And what do we see? Joseph, incredible faith. God, I trust you when I don't understand you, and I'll obey you when it's hard. What does it say of 
our Savior in Psalm 147, verse 3, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. That's the God we serve. Your life, like Joseph's, may have started out with immeasurable excitement. And maybe you've tried to do your best to live with impeccable character, only to experience inconceivable heartache. This morning, Christmas is a reminder that God came for you. And he's calling you to exercise that incredible faith and let that lead you to obedience even when it's hard. Jesus came for the heartbroken. There's nothing broken in your life that he can't heal and use for his glory. Let me say that statement again. There's nothing broken in your life that he can't heal and use for your glory. It might hurt and it might be hard, but if you'll trust him and if you'll follow him and if you'll allow him to guide your life, he can take, uh, he can take our brokenness and turn it into a beautiful picture of his grace and mercy for his glory. Well, Christmas is just a hard time for me. It's a reminder of what I don't have. It's a reminder of what I lost. It's a reminder of some of that sadness. I don't think I'm taking too many liberties to say the first Christmas was, at the beginning at least, a pretty hard time for Joseph. And Jesus came for those that are heartbroken to heal the brokenhearted, to bind them up. That's the God that we serve. I'm not enough. I'm bruised. I'm messed up. I'm scarred. That's who he came for. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to use your life, but you're going to have to trust him when it doesn't make sense. And you're going to have to obey him, even when to do so is hard. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.